some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. And if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the Word of God and turn with me to the Old Testament book of Proverbs. The Old Testament book of Proverbs and in book of Proverbs and chapter number 20. The book of Proverbs chapter number 20. As we are continuing with our last few messages going over Proverbs, we've just been hitting a proverb here and a proverb there and learning these great principles that the book of Proverbs holds for us. Remember the book of Proverbs has a concise saying that has a very big impactful message. And we find our way to the book of Proverbs chapter number 20. The book of Proverbs chapter number 20. And notice with me if you don't mind in verse number 22. The book of Proverbs, chapter number 20, and notice with me, if you don't mind, in verse number 22. The Bible says, Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on the Lord, and he shall save thee. And if you have it of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find here? Wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord the Lord. And with the Lord's help, we want to teach this principle as it's found in the Bible and give an illustration. Wait on the Lord. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's fight and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for you being a wonderful God, a God who cares for us so very much, a God who has everything under control. We know that in our lives, there are lots of things that are not in our control. But we don't have to be frantic and we don't have to go running around like the sky is falling. But instead, we can learn to trust you no matter what. We know that the proof of us trusting you is our song. Having a peace that passeth all understanding. Lord, I'm asking that you would teach us this principle. Help us to understand this principle and apply this principle. And that we could trust you to do a work. Lord, fill me with your Holy Spirit for the purpose that you get your work accomplished today through your word, that you could work with someone's heart, that you could help them to have a better understanding of this principle, that you could even change someone's life when they grab a hold of this. Thank you, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. And Proverbs chapter 20 and verse number 22, it starts off with this, say not thou, I will recompense evil. What this carries the idea of is that you're trying to fight against evil, that you're going to revenge evil, that when evil comes, you're going to bring the battle to it. It carries the idea here that people are ready to go to war. They're ready to fight. They, you know, and we get that away. We look that the world is a battlefield. We understand that there's a lot of things against us. We understand there's a lot of things trying to topple us. There's a lot of things trying to get us to quit. And it seems like our first response is we want to get up in arms. We want to put up our dukes. We want to fight. We want to go ahead and we want to take the battle to the enemy. We want to charge. We want to go. We don't want them to get away with it. And the Bible tells us something here. Say not thou, I will recompense evil, but wait on 
the Lord. And he shall save thee. Wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. This is such an important principle. The idea of waiting on God. Letting God fight our battles for you. That the battle is not yours. One of our biggest mistakes is that we think the battle is ours. One of the biggest mistakes is that we feel that we have to do something. Our biggest mistakes is that we feel like we have to go to action and that it's dependent upon us. When in fact it's further from the truth, it's dependent upon God. God gives us the instruction to wait on him. We think of the different things that pop up in our life. And we want to go to war. Whether it's the illustration that we have to deal with the government. And we try to go through their phone trees. And they yell at us. And they hang up on us. And we, we get more and more frustrated. We want to fight. And we want to take the battle to them. Maybe it's the idea that we have a coworker That just loves to provoke us. And poke us. And poke us. And poke us. And, and we want to just show them who's boss. And we want to shut them down. Maybe it's the idea... That it just seems like all the circumstances are piling up against us. And that we feel overwhelmed with the flood. Maybe it feels like there's enemies all around us. Maybe it feels like the battle is just so raging. And that, that we just have to fight just to survive. And, and we feel like we've got to stay tense. We've got, we can't relax. We've got to, if, if I just let go for a moment, then I'm going to fall apart. And we feel like we've got to have some semblance of control. We just have this fight mentality. I've got to fight for this and I've got to fight for this and I've got to put this and I've got to do this. But the Bible says, but wait on the Lord. But it doesn't stop there. It says, but wait on the Lord and he will save thee. Notice there's a two part thing on here. The first part is our part, which is to wait on God. Then comes his part. He will save us. This word saving here, it doesn't deal with the idea of spiritual salvation, but it has the idea of delivering us from our circumstance. That we wait on God and he can deliver us from our circumstance. Instead of us fighting, instead of us clawing, instead of us working, we are supposed to wait on God. You understand you live your life one of two ways. You live your life by force or you live your life by faith. For example, we can learn lots of things from kids' toys. For example, I've got this old-fashioned toy where it has the different shapes. And with the different shapes, you can force one shape to go into another shape. For example, I've got a circle here. It, of course, will fit in the circle hole, no problem. But did you know you can make this go through the square hole? Now, it doesn't fit easily. Now, I'm making a liar. You could make that thing go in there, and you could squeeze, and you could fight it, and you could force the thing to go in there. But it takes a lot of effort. And that you could put a lot of effort to get something done. And maybe it doesn't work all the way. But you put a lot of effort. Or you could just surrender to God. And just let God do it. You live your life by force. Or you live your life by faith. 
You live your life by force. You have to do it. You have to make it work. You have to organize it. You have to fight your way for it. Or you live your life saying, God, I'm going to trust you to do your work. And I am going to be obedient to what you tell me to do. You live your life by force or you live by life by faith. Now, living your life by force is a rough life. It's a life full of stress, tenseness, just, I've got to make it happen. Or you live your life by faith and you surrender yourself and say, God, I trust you. You tell me what to do and I will do this. Now, this principle is carried out throughout the Bible. However, there's one passage I'd like to highlight that I think illustrates this entire proverb very well. So if you wouldn't mind to take your copy of the word of God and turn with me to the book of 2 Chronicles chapter number 20. And let's illustrate this verse in action. This principle that the fight is not ours. The battle is not ours. But wait on the Lord. Wait on the Lord. Now in 2 Chronicles 22, let me catch you up. The king of Judah at this time is Jehoshaphat. And he has learned that three great enemies have surrounded themselves, that have joined together. Now it just wasn't one enemy, but the three great enemies of Israel have banded together. Now, if you're familiar with a map of the Bible, you would know that you would have Israel on the west side of the Jordan River. Right across from the Jordan River, you would have three great enemy countries. From the very top, you would have the country of Ammon. Going below that, you would have the country of Moab. And then below that, you would have the country of Edom, which is often called Mount Seir in the Bible. Now, all three of these lands here were historically enemies of Israel. Over and over, you watch them come up. Over and over, you watch them fight against Israel. Over and over, you watch them fight against God's people. Now, in this one occasion, they banded together, which was unheard of. They just didn't get along with each other. But in this one instance, they got together. Jehoshaphat heard that these three great enemies had banded together. And so now these three enemies are planning on destroying Judah, destroying Jerusalem, destroying the king Jehoshaphat. So when he hears this, what what does he do? Well, notice if you don't mind, as we walk through this passage, that what happens when he hears this, Jehoshaphat sought the people to go ahead and seek after God, to look after him, to fast and to pray, and to find out what they were supposed to do. God, in response, sends a preacher to go with a message to tell the people what to do. But it started off with Jehoshaphat uh, telling the people it's fast and let's pray. Let's see what God is going to do for us. Let's see what God can do for us. Then notice, if you don't mind, it's starting at verse number 14. Let's pick up the context. It says, Then came Jehaziel, the son of Zechariah, the son of Benaniah, the son of Jael, the son of Manan, a Levite of the sons of Asaph, came the spirit of the Lord in the midst of the congregation. So here's the preacher as response to, the, to Jehoshaphat's praying and response to Jehoshaphat Jehoshaphat saying, we need to wait on God. We need to go see what God's going to do. Notice if you don't mind, we'll walk through here. The first thing I want to show you is that God will fight the battle. 
God will fight the battle. Notice with me in verse 15. And he said, hearken ye all Judah and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. And thou King Jehoshaphat, thus saith the Lord unto you, be not afraid nor dismayed by reason of this great multitude. Why? For the battle is not yours, but God's. What a great encouraging that God will fight the battle for you. He said, be not discouraged. Be not afraid. Be not dismayed. Why? Because God's in control. Now again, they had three enemies surrounding them. They had three enemies that were threatening to destroy them, wipe them off the map. They had every intention to destroy Israel. They know that these people are coming for blood. It's not an imaginary enemy. It's a very real enemy. But he said, be not afraid, nor dismayed. Why? The battle's the Lord's. Do you know that God is not worried at this time? God is not up in his throne pacing. He's not wringing his hands. He's not rubbing his head. But God is in control. Why? Because he sees everything. One of the things that we have a lack of is information. We don't know everything that's going on. We don't have the big picture. We only see a small portion. And sometimes that small portion is still big enough to scare us, but we don't know what's behind it. We don't know what's around it. But God sees everything. And God said, because I'm in control, because I see everything, because I'm not worried about it, be not afraid nor dismayed. I've got things well in hand. The battle is not yours. The battle's God's. He says, don't fight a battle that's not yours to fight. I've got this handled. I've got this. Don't recompense evil. Don't fight against it, but wait on the Lord. And he shall save thee. The battle is not yours. When we learn this principle, it will help us quite a bit that God will fight the battle. Take our hands off. Stop trying to fight the enemy. Stop trying to make it happen. Stop trying to force it to happen. Stop trying to think it all is dependent on you. Stop trying to think that you are the one that's going to make it or break it. Amen. Things are less dependent on you than what you honestly think. Let God work. God will fight the battle for you. In fact, notice in verse 16. For tomorrow go ye down against them. Behold, they come up by the cliff of Ziz, and ye shall find them at the end of the brook before the wilderness of Jeru. You know what verse 16 tells us? God knows where the enemy's at. He knows where they're at. Let me tell you what they're doing right now. Let me tell you where you're going to meet them at. Let me tell you where they're camping at. God sees it all. The enemy doesn't have his plans hidden from God. God sees everything. God will fight the battle. We could trust him to fight the battle. It is not up to you. God has all the information he needs. You don't know where the enemy's at. You don't know where they're coming from. You don't know what they're planning, but God does. And he could do a better job fighting them than you can because he has all the information. God will fight the battle for you. Notice the second thing here. Not only God will fight the battle, but stand still. 
and let him fight. Stand still and let him fight. Notice in verse 17. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. The battle's not yours. You don't need to fight in this battle. God's got things handled. Set yourselves and notice this. Stand ye still. By the way, as a reminder, that's our camp theme this year. Be still and know that I'm God. God can fight the battle for us. Get out of his way. Stand still. Don't get in the way. Stop jumping in the way. Let God fight the battle for you. Let him do his own work. He doesn't need you. And oftentimes we get in God's way because we're trying to help. Stop helping. Stand still. Let him do the fight. Ye shall not need to fight in this battle. Stand, set yourselves, stand in the Lord, and see the salvation of the Lord with you, O Judah and Jerusalem. Fear not, nor be dismayed. Tomorrow go out against them, for the Lord will be with you. He says, wait on the Lord, and he will save you. That's exactly what the proverb we saw Just like God work, wait on him. Waiting on God is the ultimate form of worship because waiting on God proves that you trust him. Now, waiting on God is not saying, all right, God, anytime now, that's not waiting on God. Waiting on God is being able to trust that God will get it done and that you just say, God, whatever you would have me to do, I'll be willing to do. It's not being idle, it's carrying the idea that I trust God. I can let him do his own work. I could trust God in the timing. Some of us are willing to trust God as long as he works within the next five minutes. Can you trust God to work in the next week, month, year, 10 years, 20 years? Can you trust him? God knows what he's doing when he's putting the things in place. He knows what he's doing in order to put the pieces on the board. He knows what he's doing when he allows mishaps to happen in people's lives. This is, he's setting it up because he knows how to win the battle. A lot more can get done if we can learn how to trust him because we can let him fight the battle for us. Our job is to stand still, get out of the way because we trust him. One of the hardest things that we have in a Christian life is honestly trusting God. We keep getting in the way. We keep trying to help. We keep trying to do God's job for him instead of let God do his own work. We can trust him. Notice again this idea that waiting on God means worshiping God. Notice Jehoshaphat's response to this in verse 18. And Jehoshaphat bowed his head with his face to the ground. And all Judah and the inhabitants fell before the Lord, worshiping the Lord. Notice this, that be still, waiting on God means worshiping God. How can I wait on God? It's because I trust him. I trust him to be God, that my waiting on God is an extension of my worship. Is your God big enough to fight your battle? How do I know he's big enough to fight my battle? Because I let him. If I don't think God is big enough to take care of my enemies, then I'm going to feel like I have to do something. If I don't feel like God is big enough to pay for my bills, I feel like I have to do something. 
If I don't feel like God is big enough to save someone, I feel like I got to do something. If I don't feel like God is big enough to change someone, I feel like I've got to do something. If I don't feel like God is big enough to take care of my life, I feel like I've got to do something. But waiting on God is an ultimate form of worship. It means I trust him. Can you trust him enough to be still? Can you trust him enough not to do anything of your own? Now we're going to talk about being obedient in a second. That's what waiting on God really means. I'm obedient to what he told me to do. I can't tell you how many people I talked to in counsel. They said, oh, I'm really praying on finances. God's going to have to do this. How's your Bible reading? Well, I'm not reading it. How do you expect this to work? Well, God's going to work everything out. You're missing something in here like waiting on God, trusting in him. Can you trust him? Remember this waiting on God is an outstretching of our worship of him because he is big enough to fight the battle for us. He's not just big enough to fight the battle for us. He's big enough to win the battle for us. It's about our worship of God. The greatest form of worship and trust is in waiting on him. When you learn to wait on God, you really know what it is to worship him. Because you trust him. Notice as it goes on. It says not only that we're supposed to understand that God will fight the battle for us. Not only do we understand our responses to stand still and let him fight. But notice here it says believe God and the prophets. Believe God and the prophets. Verse number 20. And they arose early in the morning and went forth to the wilderness of Teoka. And as they went forth, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Hear me, O Judah, and ye inhabitants of Jerusalem. Believe in the Lord your God, so ye shall be established. Believe his prophets, and so ye shall prosper. When he's talking about the believing in God, that we're going to be established, we're going to be stable. If you're not stable, you're not trusting in God. Standing still. Being calm, letting him work. But notice as he goes on, he says, believe in his prophets. When he's talking about his prophets, he's speaking about the Bible. Believe the Bible and ye shall prosper. Now when it's saying believe here, it's not just saying, well, I believe it's the Bible. The idea of believe means with the idea that you believe it enough to obey. Will you obey the Bible? If you truly believe God will fight the battle for you, you will obey what God has given you to do. Remember that waiting on God is not just twiddling your thumbs, but God will give you something to do. Instead of going punching someone in the face, he says, go read your Bible. Instead of going ready to go yell at someone and give them a piece of your mind, why not pray? God will give you things to do. Letting him take care of that, you take care of what he's given you to do. You take care of his business, he'll take care of your business. When we believe the Bible will prosper, when we believe in God will be established, will be settled. But as we go on, notice there's another principle here. Praise the Lord in song. 
Now, notice this. This is amazing. So Jehoshaphat grabs everyone together and says, all right, we're going to believe in the Bible. We're going to trust in God. And to prove it, notice what he does in verse 21. And when he had consulted with the people, he appointed singers unto the Lord that they shall praise the beauty of his holiness. Now notice this, as they went out before the army and to say, praise the Lord for his mercy endureth forever. Now, in military strategy, there is an order to the troops that you have. The very first people you have is the footmen, the people with the pikes or the swords. These are what we would call in more cruder terms, they're the cannon fodder. They're the people that are going to take the brunt. They're going to take the most casualties. After that, you would have the archers. Now, the archers are defenseless up close, so they have to have people protecting them so they can launch it. But they're only good for arranged. Then to the wings, you would have the cavalry, but they're not front line. They go around and kind of disrupt the lines. But the one thing you do not place in front of all this group is civilians. If you want to win an army in a military strategy, you don't put civilians before the army. They're going to be in the way. It's not how you win a battle. They're not going to be able to do anything to enemy. But notice what God does, or Jehoshaphat does in his worship of God. That he places in the very beginning of his army singers, not fighters, not people with weapons, singers. And they are going to lead the army like a parade, singing songs and praises to God, encouraging everyone else to sing along. They are not there to fight. Amen. They're singing to watch God work. They're not planning on fighting because the battle is not theirs. God is going to fight the battle for them. And as evidence that they were trusting in God, they sang. Evidence of trusting in God is that they sang. In the wait, to see if you're truly worshiping while waiting is if you are singing. Singing. This idea to be able to sing with the Lord. To be able to trust Him. Not just saying the words, but to truly trust in Him. We could go to the New Testament passage, Paul and Silas inside of the jail of Philippi. They had just gotten beaten and battered. The, their backs are all bruised up, cut up. They're bleeding all over. And they're put into a prison. And as they're in the prison, in the middle of the night after a long day of being abused and beaten, Paul looks over to Silas and says, you know what? I think we need to sing a song. You're the boss. It may have started off a little bit weak. I heard an old, old story. How a savior came from glory. And then somewhere in there, Silas says, this is good stuff. And they start picking it up. Oh, victory in Jesus, my savior forever. The Bible says they sang so loud that all the prison heard them. It wasn't like, okay, I'm going to be quiet. I'm gonna sing God, please. They had such a trust in God. They were singing loud, trusting in God. And an earthquake hit and opened up their cells. They could have walked right out. And the Philippian jailer who was watching it, he was ready to kill himself because under Roman law, if he had lost a prisoner that was in his charge, he was to get killed. 
And so he says, oh no, the prison doors are locked. Uh, there was a big earthquake. I'm and Paul says, don't, don't, we're all here. No one left. And you know what the Philippian jailer said, sirs, what must I do to be saved? Why did he get saved? Was it because of the earthquake? No, it's because of the singing. Here were people that trusted their God so much that they didn't put up a fight. They didn't yell at the jailer and said, I'm going to get you. By the way, this jailer was one of the people that beat them. And they still said, we're going to trust God and we're going to sing. And we're going to watch God fight our battles for us. And he did. God is able to do a better job with our enemies than we ever could. This principle of I trust God enough to sing and to believe it and to put it behind it. This is why congregational songs are so important to a life of a church. It lets us know where, where trust is. We can tell where people are at. I heard an old story. We should be saying, I don't sing well, but lesson I trust God. Oh, victory in Jesus, my Savior forever. There's nothing wrong with that. It shows, are we waiting on God? Are we trusting in God? By the way, if we can't sing inside of a congregational song, what makes you think that you're really going to sing in the disaster zone out loud to yourself? I mean, congregational singing is practice time for the warm-up, for the trials that we have, the songs in the night. When you have that trial, when no one knows how broken you're, of a heart that you have and you're still able to sing anyways because I trust God no matter what the tragedy is. I'm not saying that we have a stupid smile on our face but we can always have a song in our heart because we trust God. Stand still and know that I am God. Wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. God will fight the battle for us. The song tells us, are we truly trusting in him? Instead of getting ready to fight, can you sing? Can you praise the Lord? Can you trust him to work? In the wait, trusting in him. So what happens? Verse 22, and when they began to sing and praise God, uh, to praise the Lord, the, sorry, and when they began to sing and to praise, the Lord set ambushments against the children of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, which they were come against Judah, and they were smitten. For the children of Ammon and Moab stood up against the inhabitants of Mount Seir, utterly to slay and destroy them. And when they had made an end of the inhabitants of Seir, everyone helped to destroy another. And when Judah came towards the watchtower in the wilderness, they looked to the multitude and behold, there were dead bodies falling of the earth and none escaped. So what happened as they begin to sing songs and begin to sing praises and trust God, what happened is that God had the Moabites and the Ammonites look at the Edomites and say, you know what? I think they're going to backstab us. Let's backstab them first. So they went ahead and killed all the Edomites. And then the Ammonites and the Moabites said, well, they backstabbed us. We're th thinking they're going to backstab each other. And they started killing each other. And they did it. So every single person, not a single person got out of this. The last two people killed themselves and fall dead. <laughs> the children of Israel didn't have to do a single thing. God caused it. The three armies killed themselves. So they come up upon these dead bodies and go, huh? Well, what happens there? Verse 25. 
And when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take away the spoil of them, they found among them in abundance both riches with the dead bodies and precious jewels, which they stripped off for themselves, more than they could carry away. And they went three days in gathering of the spoil, for it was so much. These armies had brought all their riches and supplies and everything with them. And now that they all killed each other, all these supplies are there. So Jehoshaphat and all them didn't have to fight the battle. Their biggest labor was hauling off all the treasure, which took three days. So when they trusted God, not only did God fight the battle for them, but God blessed them in abundance because of it. More than they could have done themselves. God is able to fight the battles for us. Notice as it goes on in verse 26. And the fourth day they assembled themselves in the valley of Barak. Uh, Baraka. Baraka means blessing. So they said, this is the valley of blessing. Look what all God's done for us. For they had been blessed of the Lord. Therefore, the name was the same called the day, the valley of Baraka, unto this day. And when they returned, every man in Judah and Jerusalem and Jehoshaphat in the forefront of them to go again to Jerusalem with joy. For the Lord had made them to rejoice over their enemies. Notice in verse 29. Uh, sorry, verse 28. And they came to Jerusalem with psalteries and harps and trumpets under the house of the Lord. And the fear of God was on all the kingdoms of those countries when they had heard the Lord had fought against the enemies of Israel. Notice they weren't saying what a great army Israel had. They said, we're scared of their God. How do we know? Because they were singing. They didn't do the fighting. They sang. They trusted in God. They watched God work. And God fought their enemies for them. If we were fighting the Israelites, we no problem. We'd beat them up. We can't fight against their God. And as long as they keep trusting their God and letting God fight the battle for them, we're scared. You know, when we start learning to wait on God, it's amazing how even the enemies are afraid. Not of us, but of the God we serve. When's the last time you actually heard someone afraid of a church? When's the last time you actually heard someone who was afraid of God's people? Perhaps it should be time that we learn how to wait on God again. Perhaps it should be a time where we let God fight our battles for us and extend our influence around the world because they see our God is in control and we trust him. Now I understand waiting in God's not a light switch. Like everything else in the Christian life, it is a habit. You have to develop the habit of waiting on God. You have to continue every day to say, Lord, I'm trusting you in this. Because you're going to have battles. You're going to have things that sit up. And you want to fight. You want to do it yourself. You want to take care of it yourself. And you're going to have to say, stop. God has to take this for me. And you back self, yourself up. You pray to God. Ask him. Be obedient to what God's given you to do. And you trust him enough to sing. And mean what you're saying when you're saying to worship him and let God fight the battles for you. This is when, forgive the word, but looking at it from a world's perspective, this is when a church is the most dangerous. When they stop fighting the battles on their own and they let God fight the battles for them. Let God do the building. Let God do the battling. It all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Learning to trust in him, learning to worship him, learning to wait on him. The battle is not yours.
The battle is the Lord's. The Bible tells us that we're not supposed to recompense evil. The Bible says, wait on the Lord and he shall save thee. He shall deliver you. You wait on God. How do I know I'm waiting on God? Can you sing? That's your indication. Can I sing God with an honest voice? With a loud voice, with a clear voice, with a voice thinking about the words and thinking about how great he is instead of how bad my problems are or how bad I hurt or how bad I feel or how much I feel like I've got to do something. As long as you're in the equation, you are not waiting on God. It has to be all about him. What battle are you currently fighting? Without a doubt, you either are in a battle, you just left a battle, or you're heading into a battle. That's where you're at. The thing is, is can you sing? Can you sing? Can you trust in him? Are you waiting on him? Can you let him fight the battle for you? If you're currently in a battle, can you sing? If you just left a battle, can you reflect on what you did wrong and make a decision that, you know what, I'm going to make do it right this time? Maybe you're going to enter a battle. Maybe preventative maintenance. Say, Lord, before I enter into a battle, I'm going to make a decision to wait on you. Teach me what it is before we get there so that way I could trust you and let you do your own work. Wait on the Lord. The battle is not yours. The battle is the Lord's. Can you trust him? to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 530-6308. Once again, that number is 920-530-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.